welcome everyone to the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that when he puts on his high-end formal wear and attends a swanky cocktail party, he doesn't wear an undershirt like a boss. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Matt, why are you so fancy? The Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 206, Regrets Only, is brought to you by Not Yakuza Finger Foods. Not as satisfying as diner pie, but definitely better for your figure. Order in the court! One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. Our teaser motorcycles, anime-style rock music, six Ducatis pull up, Matt, and reveal once Uzis are brandished, the hacker is on the ninth floor. Move quickly, quietly, and we quickly establish that we are before where we left off with the action at the end of the previous episode. And uh, when they are done, the boss will be brought all 10 fingers questions pete there was no question that as the show opened with motorcycles the rock and roll dutch angles it's just crazy it's fun it's what the cool kids are doing now uh i like the little visual flourish there it's one bike that becomes three that becomes five uh, it made me think, Pete, and I don't mean this in a uh, racist way. It made me think of, in the Michael Bay film Pearl Harbor, it made me think of the slow reveal of, of you know, first one plane, then more and more and more. So I don't know that we've ever uh, referenced the films of Michael Bay before on any podcast, but certainly a great uh, a great teaser act here. Pete, the baddies are suddenly upstairs. It's the, the, they're all Japanese. One woman, the rest men, one white-haired. Uh, nice reveal there using either the set space or what, what probably is a real uh, penthouse. But using the space uh, above them is uh, Daredevil, uh, who starts punching. Elektra shows up, too. I like the pared-down version of her comics outfit. And uh, also the reveal of Daredevil's new helmet, just like the one in the Netflix album art. So I haven't been wondering about that for the last five episodes. Yes. And as the uh, the beatings commence here from Daredevil, you know, on the one side coming down from the rafters, Elektra with a girl fight. We're going to have an equal opportunity throw down here. I love it. Uh, and finally, I, a largely dialogueless tease comes to an end with the question hungry pete i will disagree slightly unless mine eyes did deceive me it was lady yakuza fighting uh, fighting lady hero for much of that correct uh yes why we gotta do that why can't well, you I, have I, I like that you know they could have been all male yakuza um, okay, so points off that they pitted female against female, although she she fought quite a few other uh, uh, not not Yakuza, if we're going to go from the end of the episode, <laughs> not Yakuza, Yakuza. Um, but yeah, I mean that that we have equal opportunities in our assailants, Matt, that for me is is the larger win. 
Well, stay tuned as I raise a couple gender questions in the course of this episode. But first, Pete, the title card. Pete, after that title card, it turns out that they were indeed hungry. They're getting a bite, and uh, Matt says that she's eaten too much. Uh, what? Uh, he takes her pie away. Uh, okay. And then uh, he wants to know more about the Yakuza, her history with them, and how she knew yeah, that he was the Daredevil. Pete, I'll let you answer that last question. How did she know he was the Daredevil? Well, let me address the earlier part. I think it was more of you've eaten enough, like, let's talk now. Uh, Electra very clearly relates um, violence and uh, sex to uh, another great pleasure in life, Matt. Eating, it's all connected. And uh, she apparently is not good at multitasking. So he wants to get to the point here. She wants to revel in the fact that they have just uh, fought the Yakuza and won. But that he had been lied to is uh, the most important detail, of course, to Matt. Now, Pete, I just want to point out that you skirted around answering the question, which is she recognized his his duff in the Daredevil duds, thereby uh, knowing that it was uh, none other than Matthew Murdoch. I, I didn't take the behind comment literally. Uh, I think it was more of a skill set and her posturing rather than I, I knew you're behind in HD when I saw Wilson Fisk apprehended so maybe she's turning kind of uh, uh, gender uh, expectations of oh you're you're so hot mister she's turning that around as a power play type thing i mean it's possible the the thing i enjoy about the character is that she's so unexpected i guess what i'm trying to say is this there was some weird moments i don't think that the characters have a, a sexist slant to them. I don't even think the show or the writers do. There are just these moments where it's like, okay, you've written a scene where the guy tells the girl she's eaten too much and I'm taking away your food. Your explanation suits the characters, but this is more than character. You know, this is more than a, a, a conflagration of characters. It's also speaking to an audience. So again, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but well, if Anyhow. you follow the dialogue, he says, you've eaten enough. Now tell me, why are you here? Oh, I, to I, totally, I totally grant you that. I guess it was just more of a, why, why did the writers choose this particular way to go about it? But regardless, Pete, we can agree that she has a way of annoying people. She wants that, at least that's why she says that the Yakuza are coming after her. She wants that deeply held Roxanne sweet sweet cash back she doesn't want to divest she wants revenge as invested as she is in this corporation it begs the question why would she do it in the first place if she was doing due diligence so it'll have to be something we talk about in our sidebar segment but matt admonishes her to keep her voice down when she says the devil of hell's kitchen in the middle of this diner, the waitress back and forth. Um, and he maintains that she is going to get out of his city now. Indeed. Leave a big tip. Leave the big apple. Uh, again, here we have 
him telling her what to do. But I, I've I've said my piece on that. He also does ironically want her to go through channels, you know, police and lawyers and stuff. Um, the irony of that is pointed out to him that uh, that he does not always do that whilst as the daredevil. Then, Pete, there's discussion over um, how he's beaten the Yakuza once and he'll do it again. And I thought that it was a really, um, it, it was a nuanced take from her point of view. Yeah, and it sets up that twist at the end. If It's to be believed within context that this is not the Yakuza where she says they, they never left. They watched you take out all their enemies and now New York is ripe for the taking. But um, she needs a partner, and uh, he, if he does this, this is a one-time thing. His rule, nobody dies. Her rule, Matt, to turn the gender thing back around is no sex. Oh, yeah, and the deal breaker, the pie. I need that back. It certainly is an effective moment. Uh, he, of course, swears that he wouldn't ever want to do that thing. He would just never, never want to do that. Uh, I'm wondering if this is perhaps set up in the future where he'll be able to backtrack, thus the the rules of a love triangle can be met. Um, regardless, though, I like your take, Pete, that she's, I don't know, she's she clearly has a devil-may-care attitude, no pun intended, and uh, here she's, uh, well, she's bringing that back to play again. The story moves on to Nelson and Murdoch, where we meet a new friend, Pete, Mr. Roth, who, how long has he been practicing law? Apparently not very long, but he did win his first case, domestic violence. He believes in protecting women. Thank you. <laughs> uh, his purpose there is to get Karen to sign an affidavit concerning the hospital attack. He has a lot of details wrong, and uh, it's slowly revealed, because I think that just to, to, to pause the recap for a moment, I like how this scene is set up, because... We are joining them mid-scene, which is to say he's already made the appointment, gotten the call, come over, hello, hello, how are you, so on and so forth. We don't know who this guy is, and okay, sign an affidavit, who is that? And it's it's slowly revealed through really excellent expositional dialogue that uh, he's a member of the public defender's office, and uh, also, as you said, Pete, kind of still green around the I guess not green around the gills, just, just new, new to things. Fresh fish. But uh, Matt is really the one who triggers a lot of that exposition when he comes in in the course of the conversation. And it's revealed that uh, because some of the dogs of hell were murdered there out on the I-95 corridor, that they're going to move for extradition where the death penalty not on the docket in New York is on the table either the lethal injection or maybe even the electric chair Bzz. also revealed is that uh, mr roth uh, as the public defender therefore as frank's lawyer he's eager to see frank plead guilty so he can get the death penalty it really is a remarkable scene that hides its checklist of things that need to be shared uh, in, in a really effective way but ultimately, Roth is kicked out, and Matt suggests the castle be repped, wouldn't you know it, by good old Nelson Murdoch. That would be the right thing to do. Uh, Karen, of course, is with him. I think that workplace romance is starting to show its, uh, its, you know, its sides. 
Uh, Foggy just wants to roll with this so that they can get back to the real cases, the cases that help the people of Hell's Kitchen, and they can get those cases back. Because right now, the office is kind of empty. Yeah, despite the open sign on the door there, nobody's walked in until they get D.A. Reyes off of their back. They don't think that that's going to happen. But when uh, Karen and Matt team up over giving Castle his proper day in court instead of just rolling over and uh, rolling the dice on whatever kindness the D.A. might offer in terms of the plea, uh, that's when uh, Foggy knows he's outnumbered. Karen steps away because it's time for Matt to talk Daredevil with Foggy. Yes, he was chained to the roof uh, by Punisher, but it's worth putting it all on the line for Frank. Frank Castle is not a vigilante. He's a man who has a right to life, which for me sounds really impressive, but I just want to point out, Pete, Frank Castle is also a vigilante. There is no question. And later on, uh, when the charges come through, 37 murders, Matt, it, it's difficult to swallow in the sense of that. However, we know that there are going to be twists and turns throughout uh, the, the situation, given what was done. I mean, listen, his family was taken from him. Three people murdered. 37 is never going to bring them back. It's also nearly 12, more than 12 times the score so yeah it's it, it's a tough one to swallow it certainly is but at least for the for the story purposes foggy can't argue that uh, frank has a right to life so with that they're headed to metro general it's a zoo in the lobby but the the lawyerly three make it upstairs where gee whiz pete detective sergeant brett mahoney is there wearing a real tie matt it's worth mentioning that with all the press sniffing around here trying to talk to castle and then trying to talk to people who talk to castle the foggy is worried about the big proscenium stage they're on here and if they start digging they will find out he went to theater camp which is why he knows what proscenium means indeed it is uh, also revealed here not quite not quite expositionally. Good news. Exposition Mahoney is given some time off. It's revealed here that Brett has been promoted. It's such a good story. He helped capture the Punisher, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they, our, our, our lawyerly three, tell Mahoney how the city is steamrolling Castle. Mahoney is sympathetic. Then Exposition Mahoney jumps on in. It makes it clear that back in Castle is career suicide. Watch out. Yeah, but they're worried about the bench warmer that uh, they were presented with earlier in the day, and they feel like Nelson and Murdoch is better equipped to um, <clears throat> represent Frank Castle. Uh, but he warns them here that this is the wrong ambulance to chase. Which was a great line. So, too, the notion that it's their funeral to, uh, to back Castle. They're searched again. They're told not to touch Castle or even go near him. Uh, in in this hospital room that has been emptied of everything but uh, but that which is required to keep him healthy and tape uh, on the floor here, which um, wouldn't Matt pick up with his super special abilities? Was was that a flourish? Is it something he can't recognize? That that was a real question 
when he nearly walked over it. Well, first of all, Pete, can we call it the proper police term, which is the no touching zone? Um, but <laughs> no furthermore, touching. <laughs> no touching. I I think we have a couple of story options. I think the way it is presented, our Matt Murdock, the one that we see as this, you know, f- fully rounded character whose secrets we know, etc. It appears he did not see it. Now, if you say, well, that doesn't quite jive with the degree of his senses and whatnot. Well, I think that you could say maybe he was playing blind Matt Murdock for the purposes of not just Karen, but his um, his uh, client. Maybe he wants to whisper, it's me, Daredevil, but roll with this. You know, maybe he's, um, regardless of whether he knows what, uh, if there are police in the room or not, um, maybe he thinks he can get away with it. Oh, gee, sorry. You know, that kind of, you know, gee whiz, Miss Lane, I guess I, I, I knocked over the stuff on the typewriter. Uh, silly Clark Kent. Um so I agree, Pete, as presented, he truly does not see it. But if you don't like that, I think it, he just could have been putting on putting on an act. Oh, I could completely see that situation as well. Castle has heard of Nelson and Murdoch. They protect S-Bags 62, Matt. <laughs> not, not 62 S-Bags they've protected, but that's <laughs> our 62nd S of six episodes here five and change to this point but they came to make him an offer uh he's good at making enemies and they recap here here matt is the one with the exposition uh that he had been admitted to metro general for the uh round to the head that the dnr order was put into place that a shoot to kill order was put in a couple days ago all of this was issued by the district attorney And uh, ever since they, Nelson and Murdoch, had started asking questions, uh, she's had it in for them. So uh, they want to know why somebody wants him dead. They will try to soften his sentence, maybe find out who is responsible. And um, we're talking about your life as well. Great acting here out of Charlie Cox, particularly as he he as matt introduces himself to castle i think without them going crazy with editing with camera moves with close-ups with expressions i think it's clear that matt is trying to say to castle hey recognize the voice my name is matt murdoch don't freak out go with this um i am a lawyer we are lawyers so on and so forth there's just a little extra edge to his voice where Instead of going for the lowbrow route of, you know, Castle saying, huh, that sounds familiar and all that. They just do it with acting. They keep it going because Castle doesn't really need to know at this point. Pete, there's about to be a clickety clack of high heels in the hallway. But first, tell us about the photo. Well, Karen is the emotional edge to Matt's calm cool and collected approach which gets referenced in the subsequent scene but she reveals at this point the photo of frank and his family where did you get that from your home so uh with all that thrown out there it's then that reyes comes in and has them removed from the room and uh 
Matt wisely tells Karen to back off while he prepares to do his best legal kung fu. Though I think we as an audience are supposed to be highly suspicious of Reyes, particularly with this notion of the conspiracy against Frank Castle, the DNR, the shoot to kill, etc. I like here that she is operating um, in what she perceives to be, or at least appears to uh, perceive to be, the best interests of what she does, which is, you know, the district attorney's office, the prosecution, she has kicked them out because since Castle already has counsel, it's against lawyerly ethics for, for, uh, Matt Murdoch and Foggy Nelson to be there. Should point out New York legal ethics are cited. Indeed. Uh, Reyes also says that this is a hornet's nest and Matt should leave it all behind. After all, Grote was a victim, so they can't, you know, the, the, they as lawyers are, are conflicted here. She's reminded that Grote was a victim, allegedly. Uh, further, Reyes shouldn't be here since she can't talk to a defendant without his can- counsel there. Boom, check and mate. If only, Pete, somebody from the expositional heavens would come down and make things clearer. Do we have that moment? Like, do we have that, Pete? Well, what I like is Karen's reaction to everything that Matt is doing to counter um, Reyes's moves. But where Foggy jumps in to uh, further this is, well, hey, you know, uh, our, all of our files exist. None of your files do, so we can back up our story. So when you file that conflict of interest complaint, how you looking? How you doing? <laughs> uh, it, it's nice that we get more lawyering this season. I know I've said it before, but it's it's there was so little of it last season, understandably so, because we had to introduce the whole you know the whole I don't want to say universe, but the whole the whole daredevil portion of the universe um that we didn't see these kind of law and order you know well you know what according to judicial code 247 we're getting more of that um and we had the one legal case where they defended uh mr healy indeed well well certainly uh more counseling going on in this season and by the way pete exposition mahoney is there to tell the district attorney but Frank Castle's counsel is here. I just heard Castle wants Nelson and Murdoch. Pete, something tells me that uh, maybe in some sort of online only, or if they were going to do a DVD exclusive, or I know Netflix doesn't do that stuff, but somewhere there's going to be footage of former Detective Sergeant Mahoney, now meter made Mahoney before the day <laughs> is out. But uh, Karen here gets the feeling they finally got the upper hand. Um, Matt is confident that, uh, district attorney Reyes bluffs well, but she will negotiate. Uh, they don't want to, nobody wants to take this to trial. So here we have Nelson and Murdoch. They have the case. They've kind of notched an early, uh, small win. They're kind of off in a, in a side room meeting. Knock, knock. Who's there? Driver, driver, who driver from Matt's employer. Um, I kind of like the, the, the well-worn, but familiar kind of superhero, you know, like, oh, right. That's my, uh, yeah. 
well, uh, I told you there's an employer, right? So uh, what I have to do now is, uh, yeah, I just need to go downstairs. I, I, I love all of that, that it's, again, it's it's super familiar in a superhero story, but it's, Pete, it's home. Keeping them afloat as well. Oh, you saw the deposit. So on retainer as he is, they've got to go. He's got to go and take care of us. I mean, listen, we know who it is. It's Electra, of course. And when he gets to the car, uh, undress. <laughs> well, Pete, not before Matt kisses Karen. Foggy wonders if they're if they're officially an item. What I have in my notes is officially doing it, and I don't think if that's Foggy's direct quote, then I it certainly doesn't come off the way the way he could have been interpreted. But Foggy, Foggy wondering in kind of the the congenial way, are they officially an item there? Uh, sorry, Foggy. I guess it's a swing and a miss for you. Karen says they're not labeling it. Pete, it's one of those it's complicated labels. Yeah. Um, and by the time we're in the car with Electra, it, it moves so effortlessly, so quickly to the task ahead there that they are on their way to a gala to steal a top secret Roxxon ledger that details certain illegal goings on in Hell's Kitchen. And the way in is our old friend, her old friend, Stan Gibson, an accountant, which means that he has zero fighting chops and that they're going to steal from him a key card that will gain them access to a special floor in the Yakutomi building. Pete, could you explain to me why, in fiction as well as fact, why do the bad guys need to keep a second secret set of books that show the real goings-on? Because they always seem to go to prison because somebody finds the secret books. That's why. They are, they're actually contractually bound <laughs> by the bad guy code of ethics, the BG uh b the the bad guy business association the bgba which stipulates you must keep an evil ledger and a proper ledger uh, and the evil ledger is kept so that that can be the nail in your coffin i mean i guess it, I, and, and again i'm not faulting the show in any way because i know this is a real thing uh i mean my yes goodness. the bgba exists i'm a member and uh <laughs> have to keep two books if you want to be in good standing with the bad guys. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Um, by the way, Matt wants to hear what the plan is. And Electra basically, basically her response is, I have a plan of attack. Attack. That's it. Um, and he so, wants to know it. And, you know, what fun is that if he knows it? Just go with it, Matthew. <laughs> uh, back at L'Hopital to whip out my French there. Uh, Foggy and Karen are going through all the charges. It's neck high. 37 mur murder charges. 98 37? lesser ones. 37, yes. 37? 37. And 98 lesser charges ranging from felonious assault, burglary, criminal possession of a weapon, reckless endangerment, etc., etc. It's not looking good for old Frank Castle they're screwed. Pete, it's also time to play 20 questions with a killer. And I think that somebody said that in the writer's room and they were like, oh, that's good. Write that down. In Frank's room, Foggy says it seems that Frank 
uh, wants to plead guilty to all these charges. Uh, Frank says that he's guilty, but he's not talking to Foggy. He's talking to Karen. He wants to talk to Karen alone. Foggy says a big no, and Karen gives the big yes. So the normally most lawyerly person of the group, Foggy, rolls with it anyway, even though um, that probably won't be a good idea in the real world, or rather wouldn't be a good idea in the real world, and we know won't be a good idea in this episode, but it sure will help drive the narrative. Yeah, and turns out the actual police report of what happened to his family, of course, is Horse S-63. That's getting neck high, too. Um, Frank wants to know what Karen knows about his family. Her response is uh, to show that police report. They were just shot at a red light. Um and and just one of those sad stories pete it's all bull feathers it was at the carousel karen thinks it was a crossfire frank doesn't want to talk it's almost like pete we are saving some some stuff here for the second half of the season um but he has to talk pete it's a talking medium so he opens up his memories come and go which immediately snark disappears i i love the sympathy here that he can't quite hang on to his past Uh, He remembers being on a blanket by the carousel. His wife screamed, a shot ringing out. Frank saw nothing but found out later it was the cartel, the Irish, and the bikers. And that he should have seen it coming, I think, is the the toughest part of this scene. Anybody's going to have grief for the loss of his entire family. But given his particular skill set that he didn't protect them, that's the the toughest part about this scene that, you know, it was his job to keep them safe and he didn't do it. I think there's also the um, the notion being floated slightly by him, by the show, that since he should have seen it coming, were these three groups coming for him as we still kind of have a lot of mystery as to his background. Um, regardless, though, as mentioned, he wishes he protected his family. Karen seems, over, seems overwhelmed. She's ready to leave, but uh, stays when he tells her to do so. Second time there's a woman been ordered around by a man in this episode, by, by the way. But, Pete, let's go to the gala. Yes, Electra, uh, stunning as she is, Matt can't see it, but he can tell that she looks nice because there's a lot of turned heads and a lot of raised heartbeats. Uh, Being more of a 90s top 40 guy than a jazz person, however, um, he just needs to relax. And here comes over, Matt, Mr. Hirochi, uh, because Electra never passes up a chance to have her behind smooched. (laughs) It's a great space, by the way, that this party is taking place in, this room with kind of lit blocks uh, all around. Really, really fabulous. I mean, it must be real. There's no way that you'd pay to have that level of of detail going so high. Kudos to the production, to doing camera work that really sells, sells a room where you could imagine there's a swanky cocktail gala and there's jazz in the background and all that. But uh, regardless, Pete, uh, after that uh, behind or rather hand gets smooched they uh they wander on over to the bar stanley is there 
They're about to chat him up, but Matt overhears that the Yakuza security is keeping an eye on their weak link too. And uh, because the show doesn't want us to do all the work, there's some quick cuts that show that that's true. And Matt can hear it, but let's just be clear. You said Stanley, Stan Gibson. We don't want people thinking there was some kind of Stan Lee cameo <laughs> in this Daredevil. That's true. Stanley Gibson. It's not at the bar, you know. Hey, give me a great one-liner there. Um, Stanley Gibson, who who henceforth, you know what, Pete? I'm going to only refer to as Gibson for the remainder of this podcast. He's thirsty, and after he grabs a drink, he promptly is set up to bump into Matt, who after uh, a second here of frustration, he realizes this man is blind. Matt wants to pick up the, the cleaning bill, but... Uh, Stan will hear nothing of it, and we head back to the hospital. It is a wonderful, wonderful little acting moment out of this actor who, yet again, is not, you know, he. It, it's presumably a New York actor. It's yet again a small part where somebody really hits it out of the park. You can see that he's about to say, what are you blind? But the show doesn't go to the lengths of saying, what are you? Or what are... It's just in his in his delivery, without him mouthing the words, you can see that that's what he's about to say. It's such an honest human moment and a wonderful job there out of this actor. Yeah, and he sells the, the frustration of getting red wine dumped on your white tuxedo because he's the only guy in the scene wearing a white tuxedo because he stands out, but that he hands Matt another glass of red wine, um, you know, and, and, and moves past it before we head back to the hospital is, uh, you know, a nice way of, of selling the accident. At the hospital, Frank says that going after Grote doesn't mean that Karen would have ever been shot. He was trained at Quantico to have one shot, one kill. She was never in any danger, Pete, as that shotgun, which inherently has some lack of, you know, of, of accuracy compared to, say, a sniper rifle, was being shot at her. So I call slight Frank baloney there, not, not, not show baloney, just... Frank saying, oh, I, I, I had it the whole time. I kind of think you didn't. Regardless, though, Pete, he fears that other memories will go away, too. He has not even been to the house since losing his family. Yeah, um, he's worried he's going to lose these memories here, and he's never been back um, since his family was killed. He wanted to know about the, uh, the details of the kitchen. Were, were the plates still on the table? He wanted to know about the piano in the den because Frank Jr. used to like to hide cookies in the bench there and play soldier to protect them. Um, Karen has a lot of uh, similar experiences to his rather mundane home life. So it deepens their connection there. This is an actual person, not this really, really scary one shot though you were never in danger killer who's gunned down 37 people that he's been charged with. We know there's more. Um, but all of these details that come out serve to further humanize him, that he's a person with a heart, that he has these 
details and these memories and he's able to vocalize them with somebody the the dinosaurs on the floor in his in his daughter's room the remote control jeep he bought his son that drove him crazy he wasn't the perfect dad but he had missed a lot of this stuff in their lives too and karen gives him the photo there uh but not before she tells him that they loved you very much it certainly is an effective scene, very effective, in meeting its goal, which is to humanize Frank. That said, and maybe this was just me, I felt that there was an odd tension to the scene as well. I kind of kept wondering, is this just character building, or is he a quick steal of a hairpin to turn it into a lockpick away from there being a big action set piece as he tries to escape, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Not that the show was, I felt, setting me up for that. I just kind of felt like I wasn't sure whether to believe his sincerity or not, um, which I don't know, which was an interest, which, which was interesting since it ultimately is not the intention of the show to cause that to cause that emotion there. Regardless, though, we head back to the party. Gibson is in the men's room cleaning up. Uh, the lights go out and Matt, who I initially thought had already taken the card, is there to get the card. Um, takes out two guards and Gibson himself. Nice to see the, that he can use that folded up cane as a de facto billy club. Yeah, I was taken aback that we needed to do this in the bathroom to extract the card, that the, the bump with the uh, wine was how he extracted it. But how infrequently have we seen Matt do daredevil stuff as Matt, not in the red suit, not in the black suit, but in the monkey suit. <laughs> I think Pete, well, to, to your, to your second point, oh, so rarely. So it shows how he's back on the edge with Electra. Uh, to your first point, as I think it through, it probably is a function of here's what we want as the, zinger at the end of the episode uh gibson helping the show reveal that it's not the yakuza which means gibson has to be uh thought to be part of this somehow or at the very least called on the carpet not the like what my wallet i don't know like there needs to be there needs to be the the, the catching red-handed or red wind of him if you want that ending so i guess we kind of backtrack here to this scene um regardless though matt has the key in hand the key card they use it to get to the floor that they want electra does a techity tech tech to tech the tech and make the security video loop because that's all it takes pete is just the little thing that she used it's it's the techity tech tech <laughs> it is and it does what it needs to for them to get the access that they need to the special floor, Matt, the 13th. <gasps> Gasp. I thought that they would have skipped it and called it the 14th, but no. Um, there's some skulking about. They kind of hide on the corner of the stairwell as the goons go by. Also nice use of this presumably, presumably fi uh, real physical space that they're using. Back in the hospital. It's good news. Frank is only going to be charged with one life sentence, and he'll get a shot at parole in 25 years. You see, Pete, they're already planning for the Daredevil series to be happening in 25 years. Also, no extradition to Delaware, which if we've learned anything from the Wayne's World film, it's you <laughs> don't want to go to Delaware. Yeah, you um, want to go to New York. I got a gun. Let's go see a Broadway show. <laughs> um, 
downside, Frank will be going to prison as part of the general pop. Pete, that's the lingo for general population. That means that it's a risk to him. Frank says uh, something like, uh, sounds like a party. That I think sounds he's... like a party, baby. That's that's Frank Castle's type of party. But Foggy quickly focuses him. Three simple words. Guilty, your honor. To which Frank says two words. Can do. And in the arraignment here, uh, which happens, of course, bedside, that uh, he has waived the reading of the charges. There's this stare that comes over Castle as he's asked to plead. I think a really great moment of acting out of Bernthal because despite his agreement with um, Foggy and Karen in the previous scene, we don't really buy he's going to uh, plead out. And what kind of drama is it if he just accepts that and, and goes to jail? I mean, sure, you could do the whole fighting his way through prison and maybe he could run into, you know, Wilson Fisk in there or what have you. You're but, locked in here with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there's the great stare here and, um, you know, he, he pleads not guilty and... Uh, it's more what he says to um, District Attorney Reyes. You hear that, which gonna watch you burn. Burn with him. Yeah. Everything is about to change, Pete. It's the trial of the century. The juice is loose. Yeah. Foggy we, we needs could, we Matt We have Pronto. a whole uh, FX show of just this trial. You know what? What haircut Foggy gets halfway through? You know who he goes on a trip with. Uh, you know, the race card in that these are all Caucasian people. We, we could have a whole show. Anyhow, meanwhile, Matt and Electra, they're still skulking about with Electra not hiding when uh, a goon has her back to them. I could do with a little less of Electra courting danger all the time, but there's no question, Pete, she courts danger. We have a quick cut to the boss man whose name you said Pete is... Mr. Hirochi. Mr. Hirochi, listening to that smooth jazz downstairs. Then back upstairs to Matt helping Electra dodge this way and that from being found. Pete, as the intercutting continues, Mr. Hirochi is told that Gibson is still in the men's room. I guess he's uh, he's working on something there. But Pete, take us back upstairs to the 13th floor. Yeah, inside this hidden floor on the on the Yakatomi building, they uh, gain access to the office where uh, there's a safe. And of course, Matt being able to hear things is able to uh, find the tumblers and to open it. I, I love the moment here where he's sitting casually at the desk while it's the rare time that Electra is in his position of freaking out. It's not there, Matt. By the way, Pete, just want to take a moment to thank the Daredevil production for swinging by the Fantastic Geek headquarters. They wanted to understand our style, kind of an East meets West architectural flair, decorating flair. And swayed uh, out. Absolutely. It's nice to see that so much of, of where we record was translated into Gibson's office here. I want to say, namaste to to the whole uh, production there 
bonsai trees for days. There's a buzzing evident, Matt, that uh, he picks up on. And uh, back in the bathroom, they find Gibson unconscious. They have an intruder now, they know, on the 13th floor. And back in that office, Matt continues to follow the current until he finds the spot right by the tiny little bonsai tree where it's interrupted. And uh, Electra turns it. She's a genius. But uh, Murdoch knows that the one drawer has books and paper in it and uh she is able to find the ledger but the camera guys have realized these are on loop they've found the problem they alert mr hirochi and uh despite the fact that electra has the ledger no time to read we gotta go the biggest problem i have with this scene matt they left the one drawer wide open i get it you're found but now they're gonna know what you took explicitly it was in that drawer Mm, totally fair maybe it speaks to maybe it speaks to electra's actual naivete or maybe it's just kind of a production production hiccup uh just want to point out once again we have a a man telling a woman what to do although To be fair, it is advice well uh, well given in this scene. Pete, the elevators are off. The floor is being shut down. You know what that means when you shut down the floor, Pete? All the lights go off except for emergency lights, and there's a strobe light. Yeah, and it means that they are in a conference room where Electra has to tear the slit of her skirt a little higher because it's time for a shadow fight. And I liked that they showed us that fight um, through the fo- the frosted window panes. Kind shadow of the, fight. The fight Where set against the darkness. Where you have a fight with shadows. Wow. Uh, they're able to move down one floor. They're barely tra- trailed by security. Security searches a few rooms. Then Pete, I had the sound turned up all the way, but I, if I've learned something from you, it's to to, to watch with the subtitles. Oh yeah, the faint, subtitles mention faint, faint giggle, etc. Kissing, woman giggling, woman moaning. You know, it, <laughs> it's kissy face time. It's right out of Rising Sun, minus the death. They're up to no good on the table. Security sees that uh, Matt Murdock is blind and then kicks him out because how could this possibly be the people who are only one floor higher? Two. Um, 11th. They were on the 11th when they were caught. Pete, math is difficult for me, as you can see when I count with my with my six fingers. Regardless, though, the conclusion is there's two drunks getting up to kind of colonel no good, kick him out. And I like that we then cut to them in Electra's car. No, like, no, no need to extend the tension. Get him to the car. Look at the ledger. Well, no, they had a scene getting off the elevator where he tells her to get her S-71 together. True, they did. Okay, so it's not that direct cut. But I guess my point is this. They, they expediently get them to the car the story does and let me ask you pete when he is telling her to get her s together is that them play acting yeah oh yeah okay yeah uh she's still giggling uh he's got a smirk on his face they're in character when they're in the car you know to mention arms and guns and ammo and designer drugs mostly and even people but there's one thing, despite the fact that she can read, 
Japanese, there's one thing that she can't understand. It's coded. It doesn't make sense what they're hiding, given the tremendously illegal things they have out in the open. The the BGBA here is is going to be upset. You're not supposed to further encrypt your evil files. They're they're supposed to be plainly written. This is a violation, Matt. It's a nice tease for what surely they knew in the writing process was going to be leading us to the second half of the season. What could be worse than guns and drugs and people? Uh, they, they realize it's something big, and then Electra breaks the tension by asking if they could do all this same time tomorrow. From the car, Pete, back to uh, Yakuza HQ, presumably, uh, th- th- there's a lovely little desk uh, ornament there. Yeah, I counted four fingers in a in a nice little box there. I wonder how they treat them that they don't decompose. But that aside, um, Mr. Hirochi confronts uh, Stan Gibson over this breach. And uh, the, the two camera guys, uh, unless I'm getting that detail wrong, um, are uh, one of them pulls a wire or a thread around his fingers, almost like to protect them from being cut, but it's not their fingers that are in jeopardy. I too was not quite clear what those two goons were doing with something around their fingers. I mean, the fact that we're talking about severed fingers, is it that they're preparing themselves for some sort of whatever? Maybe my initial reaction was perhaps they're preparing garrote wires with which they will use to choke and kill Gibson. At least that's their plan. Um, Good news, though, Pete, that all gets resolved pretty quickly. Yeah, when they get hit, they get shot in the back of their heads. And Mr. Hirochi explains that they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars to protect these secrets. It would be very disappointing, Mr. Gibson, if you had anything to do with this. But he respects the Yakuza, Matt. Who doesn't? But who said that Mr. Hirochi is Yakuza. Zing. We conclude in Matt's apartment. Frank has pled not guilty. Foggy is upset. Frank wants to stick it to Reyes. And ding, ding, the people v. v Frank Castle starts next week. Yeah, it's been fast-tracked. Get yourself ready for the trial of this century. Jackson, you're already badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him, a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Matt, let's begin with the not Yakuza biker ninja people. Uh, I love the reveal here, particularly since it is so sensible what Electra says at the top of the episode, that of course the Yakuza are back. Of course they've never gone anywhere. Uh, Of course, they've just been dormant. So the notion that this is now taken to the next level. Pete, I don't know. I'm I'm spoiler free here. I don't even know what the next episode is called. Is it Hydra? Is it AIM? Is it Hydraim? I don't even know. But I love the twist here that it's an all new bad guy group. Or is it? I don't even know what that means, Pete. I know this. Reyes next on the list uh, certainly floated more so, or at the very least solidified more so in this episode, that she is part of this this vast 
something wing conspiracy to get Frank Castle. I can't say that I completely buy that at this point because of the way that she's able to uh, acknowledge good in Matt Murdock, a reputation as a smart man, and to try to appeal to that. You don't normally see that technique out of your bad guys. It's an intimidation of, of fear or uh, manipulation. And and I could see where you could say she was doing a little bit of that, but I sense good in her for the first time, which I suppose makes her more compelling if she happens to really be behind this. But let's pretend it's going to be that simple. Lastly, Pete, Mister Hiroshi, he's he's just a guy trying to protect his secret rooms. Is he really that bad a guy? Listen, we're talking about a guy who likes to kiss ass and chop off fingers. How bad can he be? Well, when you put it like that, uh, he does sound actually kind of bad and terrifying. I'd forgotten the 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 the, the metal cigarette case O fingers, which, by the way, Pete, uh, probably were being kept preserved by by the jerky process. I'm not familiar with that, nor do I really want to be familiar with that. It's it's how they make beef jerky. He's a he's he's a jerky boy, you might say, Pete. Your Honor, may I approach the May I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss one, uh, some of our off the record theories. You be the judge, Matt. What's up with those fingers? I think, Pete, that that's proof that Mr. Hiroshi uh, requires from those who have uh, transgressed a stiff price. Uh, Isn't that a Yakuza thing, too, the cutting off of fingers? I think that's a Yakuza thing. Um, So maybe that in and of itself, kind of an extra extra, um, suggestion there to to make us think it's the Yakuza for those that are in the know. Um, But they're not Yakuza, Pete. So now I don't even know. Now I know even less. To be referenced long before we see it, the, they're going to take the 10 fingers from the hacker at the beginning. He seems to have a box with about four in there. He, he's going to run out of space to keep his fingers, man. Um, is this a Hammurabi's code sort of thing where, all right, you steal, I, I take your hand, that kind of thing. Hackers here, we're talking about stealing with keystrokes. Um, has, has this been attempted before, uh, those camera operators, if it's to believe those were the camera operators, they work with their fingers. They, they might've feared that they were going to lose them as well. It's, it's an interesting flourish. Pete, a quick update from the Wikipedia, which says that, uh, Yibitsume is, uh, the cutting off of one's finger as a form of penance or apology. This, uh, this a Yakuza habit on first offense, the transgressor must cut off the tip of his left little finger and give the severed portion to his boss. Uh, it stems from holding a sword and without it, you know, you couldn't, right. you're, you're more and more weak. So, but these um, are not Yakuza. So not bound to that tradition as, as close as I can come here, you know, to that practice. Maybe it's like, hydra in shield in that those goons thought they were yakuza only to be 
only to discover in the as the silenced bullet hits their brains that they are not in fact yakuza i like it let's cut to the thick of it though what is encrypted in this ledger Pete, I don't know. It made me think back to some of the mysteries of last season. We had the shipping container and, and all the uh, the unanswered questions from there. Um, I wonder if they are if they are uh, laying track for uh, not this season, but perhaps the Defenders miniseries or crisscrossing with Iron Fist or Luke Cage or whatever it might be. But um, I hope we get more of a taste than uh than just this and you know the story would be ill-served to not have us get any more information about this between now and episode 213 what is black sky i don't know it's all a mystery yeah well we had those shipping containers before that were containing the black sky which of course was a child with some sort of abilities so if you're going to market in uh, human trafficking, that's one thing um, to, to do it that, you know, stick was adamant that that child was a weapon um, is a, is a completely other type of thing. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Pete, want to give a big thank you to Chelsea W. That's at 580Chels on Twitter. Uh, with our last episode, when it was initially sent out to the world because of a whole bunch of tech reasons that I won't bore everyone with explaining right now, uh, what initially was sent out uh, lacked two little things, Pete. It lacked the Pete track and the Matt track. So all it was was the intro music and the transition music. And um, we obviously don't want that because we think that you tune in for the Matt and Pete, not the uh, not the uh, transitions in betwixt the sections. So uh, she caught that probably within 10 minutes of the episode being posted online and uh, a fix was not far away. Uh, on my end so thank you so much chelsea it's great knowing that we uh we have people not only listening as soon as episodes drop but people reaching out to say hey there's <laughs> there's a problem like i don't hear either of you uh she was initially concerned that maybe she had taken a frank castle-esque uh head injury <laughs> but uh no the mistake was on our end so thank you chelsea the support of our uh listeners means everything to us whether it's something technical there or it's heading over to patreon.com forward slash fantastic geek, where not only can uh, you help out with the costs of things like uh, storage or some of the other things we're able to bring to you, but to get yourself a little something for it as well. Indeed, whether you're whether you're like Chelsea helping out on the, uh, hey, this doesn't work end, or like those uh, patrons at Patreon, uh, we appreciate so much people lending a hand, helping out, making the podcast magic happen. And uh, if you haven't checked out patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, please do so. But Pete, let's get to an even bigger reward. Talking to you on Twitter, how can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J. Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 7,434 followers. Can't be wrong. 
And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with a PH. You can find us under that name on the dot com, the Gmail, the Twitter, the Instagram, and more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. All one word, again with the PH. Like us today. Well, with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners. Can't wait until we get together for uh, what is next, whether it's the next Daredevil, the next Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the next goodie on the pop culture podcast feed, whatever it is that's out there that we're talking. <laughs> I don't even know at this point, Pete. There's so much up in the air. It's so much fun. So anyhow, I'm going to stop talking and give you the final word. Same time tomorrow, Matthew? <laughs>